1: To pick a flick. My name's Jack. I am from the Wiki Shuffle Podcast. And joining me this week is Phil, also from the Wiki Shuffle Podcast. Hello. And Owen Hughes from Failcritics.com. Hello. And also we've got Chris from um Wiki Shuffle, and he's just sat in the corner, but he'll You're be right. he'll be quiet. Yeah, so. I'll keep myself by myself. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so today is the unpronounceable episode, because we're talking about two documentary films which are um, they, have, they have Unpronounceable Names Unsurprisingly
2: I'm not looking Forward to her Personally
1: No you don't Cope very well With um, speech <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs>
3: It's a bit Rich I know but... I believe One of them Is pronounced By You have to Sing it When you do It's Gone. Koyan Is Katsi
1: Yeah Or oh, Henry. yeah
3: Close enough Isn't it is
1: Koyan Nope
3: I don't
4: want to
1: be involved in this podcast. (laughs) Okay, well, you're not supposed
4: to be involved. Yeah, you're not. Just keep
1: stum. It's fine, it's fine. So, yes, Koyanis Katsi, I guess, (coughs) is the first film. And the second one is Cole. So...
2: I don't feel as inspired to sing that one.
1: No. Koyanis Katsi is a 1982 American experimental film by Godfrey Reggio with music composed by Philip Glass and cinematography by Ron Frick. Um, and it 's primarily slow motion and time lapse footage of cities and many natural landscapes across the United States uh, so it 's a bit of a, a bit of a hippie one so we 'll talk about that first and then we'll go on to Marwin call Marwin Call, which is a 2010 American documentary film that explores the life and work of artist and photographer Mark Hogankamp um, so we 'll get onto that and we 'll also have some general chit chat about do- documentaries that 's it that 's the word and then we 'll do a quiz. This isn't going very well, is it? (laughs) Excellent. Shut up, Chris. Trying to do a hosting thing here. Okay, let's pick a flick.
5: Critics around the world have called it a remarkable film event. A breathtaking experience. A fusion of image and sound.
1: was that enthusiastic enough that ending that was good that was very like enthusiastic that. I'm, I'm on board <laughs> that was a clip from Koyanis Katzi Phil would you like to get us started on the discussion on this one
2: Koyanis Katzi Koyanis katsi you, you don't have to do that it's Koyanis katsi I feel like that was a bit of a spoiler if anything because I've kind of given do away the only line of dialogue in the entire film <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's difficult because what I want to be there's a there's there's two voices really conflicting for space in my head about this film. One is the pretentious art snob that wants to stroke his chin and talk about how marvellous it is, and then the other half of me is the Marvel Action film loving geek boy that wants to say, What a load of old Tosh, give me something <laughs> proper in my films. And those two are really wrestling. To the point where I don't know which one's won, I don't know what to think about it, and I don't know what to say. Okay, we're oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> So what you've got, you've got an hour and 20 minutes, so it's thankfully short. Mercifully short. Mercifully yeah, short. Yeah. Um, an hour and 20 minutes of very beautiful imagery from the early 80s. Very obviously from the early very 80s. Very o- obviously oh, from the early 80s beautifully scored by Philip Glass, who I love, because us Phillips have to stick together, if for no other reason. <laughs> um, and so as it started out, the first five minutes, I thought, you know what, I, I can get behind this. This is pretty, and it sounds nice, and I'm going to enjoy this. And then I realised that I didn't quite have the staying power for it. That just pretty images and nice music isn't enough It isn't held together and it would be unfair to say that there isn't a narrative structure because there is quite a pretentious narrative structure about the conflict between the um, natural world and the human world and there's definitely a a narrative structure in there but it's well away from being traditional in its construction to the point where it may as well not be there. And if anything, the the only thing it's got going for it is the subtlety, which is then completely undermined right at the end, where they hammer all that subtlety out with a series of um, bit of text explanation which just undermines anything, um, anything subtle by just hitting you with a sledgehammer about it being about the world being screwed. Uh, well actually that 's not quite what it was saying. There was more hope in the film and the imagery that was being portrayed than uh, I think certainly with the benefit of hindsight looking at it nearly thirty over thirty years on that it didn 't it seemed like a simpler time, and I think that the point it was trying to make was how hectic modern world is and how that contrasts with the natural world and it's all of its slowness but it all seems so naive and primitive compared to what we now consider the modern world Owen, oh, what did you make of Koyaanis yeah. I
3: thought it was very foreboding, wasn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, that was... the. Uh, but basically I said that because it reminded me of uh, Alpha Papa Straight away, with the music from Philip Glass. It is that music, isn't it? Yeah, It's the same music, yeah, which is great. But, um, yeah, I think the music is definitely the strongest point for me in the whole film. Because it's got some really nice imagery. It's got some really inspiring images and scenes and stuff. But if you can call them scenes, I don't know. But it was the music that was that was making me sit up and pay attention to it. Um, which is quite handy because quite uh, often throughout the film, I just stopped paying attention because I thought, yeah, OK, I, I think I'd get it. It's either about, like Phil just said, the conflict between man and nature or at times even the synergy between man and, and nature and how sort of natural chaos kind of represents or reflects what's happening in society. And yeah, but then it was also really boring is the, the underlying feature for me. It was just so Kind of dull, and I've seen it a couple of times in other films. Have you guys seen uh,
1: Baraka? Yes, I was going to mention this actually, because Baraka and the sequel Samsara are two mm-hmm. of my favourite films, and yet I, I didn't really get on oh, board with really? Koyanis so I'm not quite sure why that is. Okay, because um, I felt with Baraka. Yeah, I didn't so you're either going to feel it or you're not, I guess.
3: Yeah. Because it's just, you know, it's great. If it was a short film, even, I probably would have liked it more, but because it just went on for. Like I said, it's got a short runtime, but it just felt like it went on for a long time of repeating the same message, and I just lost a bit of interest. I did like some of the shots of the rocket, and particularly the last shots of that, I thought, were quite nice to bookend the whole film. But otherwise, it was just kind of, I don't know, just a bit slow and tiring to watch to, yeah it didn't really do anything for me it was the music it's, it's, that was that was most important
1: yeah i'd agree with that and it's it is very dated now i mean even the music sounds as as good as it is it sounds dated it sounds of its time and the imagery mm. isn't the high definition that we're accustomed to now um so it's yeah that, that was the problem for me i think and
2: it might have appeared groundbreaking at the time it's so hard to tell mm. I mean, i'd have mm. been i'd have been 3 when it was released Jack, you wouldn't have even been born so it's hard to put that into technological perspective of whether it would have seemed like something new because nothing we saw the stop motion the fast moving clouds the traffic speeded up all of those images we've seen in a million different music videos mm. now you see mm. them in adverts you see them everywhere there was nothing fresh about that, even though it was given the space to breathe, which perhaps you don't see um, so often it didn't feel like it was showing me something that I'd not seen before. Mm -hmm. The music's fantastic. Interestingly, Philip Glass refused, when first approached it, refused point blank to let his music be used in in a film saying that um, that's not what his music was for then Mm -hmm. saw the original um, footage and changed his mind and then somewhere in the intervening 30 years has changed his mind significantly because his music pops up in the latest Fantastic Four film, so obviously he has no concern for that at all anymore. (laughs) Um, But it made me, as much as I love Philip Glass, he's a bit of a one-trick pony, and it made me desperately want to re-watch The Hours, is all I was thinking. I've got this music going on now, I should be emotionally moved while this music is going on, I want to go and watch The Hours again. Mm. And obviously... Uh, or even Alpha Pappa would have done.
3: <laughs> yeah, just watch the first few minutes
2: of that again. I mean,
3: it's not, it's weird, though, because the music in something like this I don't think should necessarily be the only reason to watch it. And it felt like it was for me. But if, if you've seen anything like, you know, Man with a Movie Camera is the one that gets cited very often as one of these looks at human life. And because it's so well-known and so iconic and probably was the first one of its kind certainly the, the one of the most popular versions of, of this sort of documentary making where it just looks at people doing stuff and then looks at like natural things and it looks at the modern world through through a camera lens that's much better than this and i maybe it's just because i found it more intriguing because it's from a time so far gone you know from like a, almost a hundred years ago nearly yet because it was only maybe because it was only the 80s and i just thought it just doesn't really speak to me at all. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not interesting. But the music was key. So, yeah. So, it's a bit weird. Because Man with the Movie Camera, of course, is a silent film. And the melody would have been added afterwards. But, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just... um, I'm not even glad that I've seen it. Because sometimes you get these classic movies that you watch and you feel like it's a struggle to make it through. But then you go at the end, oh, well, at least it's one to tick off the list. You know, it's the one that's on the IMDb Top 250, at least. That's off there. I didn't even get that sense of satisfaction with it. It was just like, it's over. Okay, what's
1: next?
2: Yeah, I agree. When I first found out that it was part of a trilogy, which I wasn't aware of um, before watching, Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting for comparison between the three instalments, because there are two films that come later with equally unpronounceable titles that Mm. I can't remember. I watched one the other day and
1: I can't remember what it's called.
2: But I came out at the end of it thinking, you know what? It's not really going to teach me anything. The next couple are going to be slightly more high definition. The cars are going to be different. They'll come up with some kind of underwater (laughs) camera that will make for some different shots in one place. I could see the way that it was heading. Um, And although from a cinematography point of view, I'm sure that's very interesting and there are things being learnt through Mm. exercises like that, I'm not sure I need to consume them.
1: Yeah. I would recommend Baraka and Samsara, though they are i mean it's ron frick as well the cinematographer um and it's a few years later it's gorgeous sh- um cinematography like ridiculous some of the shots they get yeah. um and the music's done by lisa gerrard from um dead can dance which is similarly incredible compared to philip glass and the bfi imax show that quite a lot as well um baraka it's well worth going to see there it's it's more that like, it's more of an experience it's like it's more like an art installation than it is a movie i suppose um, okay, shall we move on to Marwen Call?
5: Meanwhile, back in Marwen Call, the SS took me, they tied me up, and started cutting me. I put a scar down my face because this side was damaged in real life. Mark Hogenkamp was in a bar, and a group of five individuals beat him senseless and did some pretty bad damage to his brain. When the teenagers kicked my head to pieces, they wiped all memory of everything. What's the first thing I got to work on? That's my imagination. Everything's real. The slide on the 45, the clip even comes out. I'm sorry. Everybody has a dream. Everybody wishes they had a double. They could do the things that they could never do.
1: There's always something going on in Marlon Cult. I've taken place in many battles. We usually come out on top.
5: The SS had me tied up. The girls went into the church. And they eliminated the SS. Her coming and saving me proved to me that she loved me. So this is my wife, Anna. Anna's competition is Deja Thoris, the Belgian witch of Marlin cult. And this is Dejah Thor's time machine.
0: I first saw Mark. He's in this full World War II regalia. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? What's that all about? I was just astonished by the realism
1: and the feeling. I felt like it was too amazing to not share with other people.
5: There's a curator of an art gallery that wants to display my photos. What is this leads to tension and it's bad for him? Like, really make it to the city. It's like this is the one last thing that I don't ever want taken from me. I built Marwan Call for me, for my therapy. It gets stranger by the moment, doesn't it?
1: Marwan Call. Um, Owen, would you like to give us a brief synopsis?
3: Yes. So, Marwan Cole is a documentary about an artist who didn't even realise he was an artist to begin with. It's about a guy called Mark Hogan Camp who was uh, attacked. He was an alcoholic and he was attacked outside of a bar by a group of men. He suffered severe brain damage and, in his own way of rehabilitation, he decided that he was going to create some dolls and a fictionalised town that he created called Marwencol, which is a portmanteau of names Mark, Wendy and Colleen. And yeah, the documentary uh, by Jeff Malmberg sort of follows him and his rehabilitation and the fact that eventually whether his work will ever be shown anywhere in a, an art gallery. And it's, I'll be honest, I know we've just sort of slagged off, well, we haven't slagged it off, but you know, Koyani Casti for just showing scenes of life and stuff. This is what life is, I think, for 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 a documentary to show this guy just being himself, just doing natural things. Okay, occasionally he has to explain why he's doing things to the camera because it's so disjointed and uh, from reality in, at times because he makes up a fantasy world to live in. And as someone who doesn't play with toys anymore. And I think at the most basic form, that's what you can express his re- rehabilitation as, is just playing with figures and creating this world of kind of exaggerated versions of people he knows, including himself. He doesn't really connect <laughs> with that in a in real way anymore. It's interesting to, to watch this guy go about his daily life, go about explaining why he... Even stuff like dragging his toy truck... Around town to make it realistic. Why that is so important to him, and why that it means so much to him that these things that are happening, he records them. He takes photographs of them, these events and stuff like uh, marriages, uh, extremely violent and graphic death scenes that occur, uses of like magic to make people he doesn't like anymore disappear and stuff. It's just really interesting to watch. The guy himself, Mark Hogengampe, is. Just such a a, a likeable guy. You just want to see him do well. And I've personally wanted to know more about him as the documentary was going on. I wanted to know not so much like about the attack that left him brain damaged, but about what he was like before, what he can remember of his life before, how the trauma that he experienced has shaped his current view of the world. And it, it delivers on pretty much every level of that. It's a very well-made documentary in terms of just Jeff Malmberg just taking a step back. He just stays behind the camera and just lets uh Mark explain everything for himself, which is great. That's that's really what I wanted from this documentary. I wanted to see this guy be himself. Um occasionally, you know, there are the questions that prompt certain responses in him and you you get a really like deep emotional side to 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 sort of his expressions of what he's doing. Uh, and it just makes it even more touching and you just want him to do well, really. And whatever well is for him doesn't necessarily mean becoming a professional artist. It could just be you want him to do well, as in he gets better at, keeps on at his job and finds a girlfriend and does all the stuff that he wishes he could do. But yeah, you know, it's a really. I thought it was a really touching story, very well made, and um, yeah, in contrast to Cori Casti, I was really glad
1: that I watched this one. Couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, this, this is my choice, actually. This is my... Um, my oh, was my it your choice? That I suggested to Tony. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. How did you feel about it, Phil?
2: I liked it very much. I thought it got a lot of things to say um, about the fragility of the mind, certainly. <laughs> um, so what you'd got here is somebody who's suffered brain damage and, as a result, has ended up behaving in unexpected ways. Um, and as a result of that is struggling to get on in society uh, cannot uh, function well with others is perpetually frightened um, off the back of the attack that he suffered but we also learned that the life he had before was in many ways worse he was a pathetic mm-hmm. alcoholic with no real control over his life and uh, some real issues it didn't as you say explore some of those points um, in as much detail as we might have liked certainly he was married and they alluded to the marriage itself but we didn't hear anything from his wife uh, anything about um, other than on the very surface levels from his mother and the, the people that were around him although he was obviously cared for and people liked his company if I had to criticise the documentary for anything, it would be that it portrays too likeable a figure on him. It tries too hard to make him consistently likeable rather than having the courage to say, actually, this kind of outsider that he is, it talks about him having social difficulties But doesn't show that. And I strongly, and it alludes to it in places and bits where his brain really has broken that may have been present beforehand, particularly his attitudes towards sex and towards women, that (laughs) it doesn't explore. I get the feeling because it would portray him in a less favorable light whereas just looking at him as this outside, outsider artist who can potentially come goods shows a story of redemption and everyone roots for him and you're very much behind him and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong or deceptive to do but it felt a little bit like an oversimplification which when you're telling a story within an hour and a half and that's the, the point of documentary making mm-hmm. isn't to be an absolute chronology, it's to find the story in there I think it succeeded at and I was captivated by that and it was an interesting world through what was a genuine talent. I think a lot of outsider art and this celebration of people who were making art without really realising it is patronising and can be based on art that isn't actually that accomplished but what he was doing was a wonderful thing and was intricate and was involved and was beautiful to look at and was very well composed I thought it was incredibly telling that before he had I keep calling it an accident but it wasn't an accident before he suffered his attack Mm. he was a very capable art uh, illustrator and he could draw Mm -hmm. very well. He lost that ability as a result of the attack, but he clearly retained some of the requisite skills in terms of composition and putting together images, and that was very evident in the work that we saw. So that was telling, and you felt... There was something in what he was doing that it did have a genuine appeal beyond a mere novelty, which is good. And as a result, you didn't feel like he was being too taken for a ride by the by the galleries that were trying to put on his work, and and that was that was good. But- yeah,
3: no, I'd agree. And it's just a point that you made there as well about sort of his past life, and because he claims he can't really remember anything, and he just gets like snippets occasionally. Or he looks through old photographs and, like, can't really remember his ex-wife and stuff. All he remembers is that he was married. But all of that comes out in his art, I think. Particularly as well the point you made about how he treats women, and, or, or sees women, not necessarily treats them. Um, because his, you know, his fictionalised version of himself, his doll, uh, is in a plane crash. A World War pilot in a plane crash, wanders into a Belgian town called Marwan and it's full of women who just want him. Because they don't see guys. And it's just like a reflection of... The, I mean, I get he must be like a desperately lonely man who probably does feel a bit shunned, a bit rejected. I mean, it's hard for me to to sort of say anything like that because I am i haven't suffered anything like he has. So I don't know for sure how he feels. And maybe that is a failing of the documentary. But you get the impression that he's a desperately lonely man who doesn't really... He hasn't fully grasped what has happened to him. Because occasionally he talks about how... He feels angry. And then, you know, the documentary is very subtle, or perhaps not so subtle, in that it was sh- cut to a shot of a photo where his characters have been massacred by some Nazi soldiers and stuff. Or, you know, there's meant to be a truce between the, the good guys and the bad guys. And occasionally, the you know, whenever he's feeling angry or upset or lost or whatever it is that he's feeling, that balance shifts in the world um, that he's created. And I think it, it's very it It just kind of lets you understand how the world has affected him personally through that, without him having to explain or without the documentary having to do too much like deep investigation or interview various family members or former friends of his. Um, I mean it has those interviews there, but I think they're very light and just kind of complement the images rather than you know using the images on top of what somebody else has said. Do you know what I mean? Is that making sense or am I just uh, waffling?
2: Uh, no, that does, that does make sense. He's obviously struggling and the, the exact boundaries of that struggle aren't as clear as they might be.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's just it allows his like, I keep going to call it art as well. And I'm not sure whether that's the right word because he didn't create it for any artistic purpose. He did it for his own therapeutic rehabilitation. And that's another thing, actually, that it doesn't really go too in-depth on, is why his, you know, his rehabilitation's ended and then he just moves on. It doesn't sort sort of go any further into speaking with his doctor with, about what else could have happened, why why he was left on his own to deal with something so tragic and why there is no support. And you you feel like it could have been a real social issue. Yeah,
2: that was one of the biggest beats early on was it made the point quite hard that he ran out of Medicaid and that's why Mm -hmm. he got released from hospital earlier than he should have been. But then it left that completely alone. And yeah, it was just like, perhaps particularly yeah. from a British perspective where that is crazy to us <laughs> and mm-hmm. how can a, an advanced society possibly do that to people? Perhaps that just doesn't occur to the American people because that's just the way it works. It was just done in a very matter-of-fact, like, and now his medication's ended, so this is him doing
3: it all on his own. And you think, Jesus Christ, that is, like, harsh, that yeah. is terrible. But it's just, it's just, just, it just carries on. Yeah, there is an yeah. alternative route. But there's, there's no other... The only thing that's offered as an option is, oh, yeah, we'll just let him play with toys and he can come in and speak to me every so often. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, like it is just a cultural thing. And I'm just nitpicking because I missed the fact that it's just cultural and just thought this is really bad. Why isn't this being investigated further? But I guess at the same time, that's not really the
1: point, is it? The the point of the documentary is to just show Mark being Mark, really. And that's that's all I Hmm. really wanted from it. i I wasn't as interested in you know his illness it it was it was the fictional world that he created in a a strange way i actually got quite Mm. sucked into it (laughs) wanted to know more about this town and which is kind of insane in a way because it's it's just a man playing with toys at the end of the day you know in in, if you boil it down to its basic level but i just found it very endearing and um yeah kind of a, a beautiful little film but there are there you are right there are problems with it and um so, yeah, I could see why that wouldn't quite leave you satisfied.
2: I'm I'm interested to know how long between watches was it for you? Have you seen it recently? Uh, this was probably
1: three years ago, I'd say that I, I first watched it.
2: So how? Because this is a, an archetypal example of a film that <laughs> I would never watch more than once. Documentaries, I would never feel the need to return to. I can't think of any exceptions to that rule. Mm-hmm. Um, did it? change much in your interpretation over that time. Well,
1: funnily enough, I th- I thought the same that it's it's not one that I need to return to, so I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> just to reveal my lack of um preparation for this podcast. No, but but it felt like I got everything I needed mm. out of it first time round. So I didn't rewatch. I, I did read up on it just to see if there, there were any bits that I'd I'd forgotten, but it wasn't that long ago that I saw it, so Maybe two or three years.
2: If I have a criticism, and we'll probably talk about this more when we talk about documentaries generally. If I have a criticism of the nature of film documentaries, it's their determination to Mm -hmm. do this. To say, oh, look, we've got what's a quite straightforward story here, but there's a twist. Here's a twist. You weren't expecting this, were you? We kept this from you. Exactly. Does it
1: really add anything Oh, you're you're really not going to enjoy making a murderer when you get round to it, then? (laughs) I've done it. Oh, you've done it?
2: Yeah, we'll be talking about that later. Okay. I feel as though I've perhaps been a little too critical of Marwen Cole. I want to to wrap up by saying I did very much enjoy the film Mm -hmm. and it, it was a nice portrayal of an interesting subject matter and well shot and well made uh, a, a little bit over glossy in place or under glossy in the use of scratchy 9mm footage in places where it, it didn't really need it but I didn't feel like it really detracted again I'm criticising it <laughs> in a bit where I'm trying to say how I'm not criticising it
1: <laughs> and to finish our, uh, finish this off Chris what did you think? <laughs> sounds like a fun old time good Okay, we move on to our close-up section, and this week we're talking about documentaries in general. So, basically, let's just talk about our favourite documentaries. Owen, do you want to start us off? If you had to recommend one documentary to the whole world, what would it be?
3: One documentary to the whole world? Ah, man. I am going to be very populist and say The Act of Killing. I know The Look of Silence tells a story from a different perspective, and arguably more moralistic to sort of show a person who's trying to find an answer to the
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing
2: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, get 30, 30, better get 20, 20, 20, better get 20, 20, better get 15, 15, 15,
0: 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
3: In Indonesia. But The Act of Killing is the one that I think is more powerful. Certainly had a bigger effect on me when I watched it. Because, it, as well, we've just talked about, like, with Marlon Cohen, a slightly manipulative take on it. But The Act of Killing has a really strong narrative arc that I think they looked out on a little bit. I think Joshua Oppenheimer looked out on the fact that Anwar goes from, at the start of the documentary, at the start of The Act of Killing. He is laughing, joking about the horrendous crimes that he committed. I mean, the genocides that he committed with groups of people. Executing communists, in inverted commas. And then, like, through to the end of the documentary, and the way that he's changed, the way that Anwar's changed, uh, It just it's just a fantastically well-made documentary. And if the story in it doesn't stay with you after watching it, if it doesn't affect you in some way, then you are a monster. Because that film is just like being punched in the face. It is so powerful. But it is very, I mean, I say it's very populist as well, but I don't think that necessarily is the case because it didn't get nominated for an Oscar. And part of the argument for why is I've seen, I've heard people describe it as just like torture porn, you know, comparing it to stuff like Saw or, you know, Hostel and saying, oh, well, its it doesn't really have any value. It's just a shock documentary you know it's just meant to shock people but I, th- I think that's complete bullshit because it's it's it feels very honest and real to me but i don't know have you guys seen it oh. yeah i, I yeah. totally
1: agree when, i mean i mean phil hasn't seen it so um that's definitely one for you to see but but i agree i, I don't think it's it's torch porn whatsoever it's um it's quite mm-hmm. brave it's it's entirely original it um yeah it's, it's something i've never seen before and it's it really really made me feel awful about mm. humanity so if you want to be <laughs> awful about humanity yeah. for... I think that's, it's like three hours long as well. Yeah, the no not, cut.
2: So. definitely not what I look but... for in the Can I make that
1: very clear? <laughs> that's how I, what I aim to feel like
2: uh, Phil, one documentary. I would like to nominate a feel-good documentary <laughs> in place of whatever that sounds like. Um, a 2002 film entitled Babies, which... I hope this isn't talking. <laughs> no, it really isn't. It's a again. This is another very loosely shot, very beautiful, um, but in the conventional sense plot sense, plotless story of contrasting the way that young infants are raised around the world so i think that there's it's been a good while since i saw her actually but i think there's four different families on four different continents um each dealing with how they bring up a newborn baby and comparing and contrasting what those those children experience in their formative months and and years and it's just beautiful In terms of bringing together the shared humanity at its very basest level of it's rewarding to see a child laugh, it does that, and it's got more to say than just that. It does compare the socioeconomic considerations between, obviously, the abject poverty that's experienced in Africa compared to the the American couple that they, they follow, and it does have something to say about that. But it's not weighted down by that. It's not, um, it's not narrated, so there's no clear... It's not policing those sentiments. It's done purely on the imaging, um, and it's, it's, it's lovely. It really is just lovely. So that's that's my recommendation, babies from 2010. Have you seen that one, Owen?
3: I haven't, no, but it's gone on the list.
1: Yeah, I th- I think you should two should um should swap. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Phil can have a terrible time. Great. Yeah. <laughs> this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, Owen, but I know you are a documentary fan. What would you say that documentaries can achieve that um, drama can't?
3: Uh, well, I think with drama, you've always got an idea that uh, even when it's portraying a true story, that it is perhaps bending the truth. And I think documentaries are very honest and, or can be very honest, and not always. And I think there's, because, you know, a documentary is made, they, they shoot hours and hours and hours of footage and just, cut out all the best bits that they want to use so there's always going to be something that's missing but generally speaking it's just like you're seeing real people or real things and real events that have happened in the way that they've been caught and you can do that from you could use any example from uh, one that i watched last year and really liked was cartel land which is about this place in mexico where just there's a group of vigilantes and they're standing up to the cartel and then you also see the uh, Americans on the other side of the Mexican border who are trying to keep all these Mexicans out of their country. That's a very like, daring film to make because it's standing up to the cartel and they're shooting it all in Mexico, um, which is great. There's, really, like, there's an element of danger to that, and, but it, it does feel real. But then you get stuff like from, uh, from that to the, the complete contrast would be something like a documentary by David Attenborough. You know, where you still get that feeling of realism and you believe everything he's saying about how these animals live in this habitat. And I just think that that's something that doesn't always come across in films. There's always an element of fiction, even when it's telling a true story. And I think that documentaries perhaps get that right more often than they don't. What would you say then, Jack, to put you back on the spot? I'd
1: say that I agree. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we've not had a, a recommendation of a documentary from you either.
3: No,
1: but I'm just the host, so nobody really needs my opinion.
2: <laughs> no, no, we would like your opinion. One we
3: talked about before was Hoop Dreams. I know you were. A Hoop fan Dreams of Hoop is Dreams.
1: very good. Yeah. You know, actually, the, the most recent one on a similar theme—the fact that that uh, Hoop Dreams was Roger Ebert's um, mm-hmm. favorite documentary, and possibly even favorite film. Roger Ebert, the documentary about him, Life Itself, that came out oh, last yeah. year or the year before. I've heard good things about that. Yeah, I loved it. That. I mean, I love Roger Ebert. I think he's one of the greatest writers of all time. Like not just in the film reviewing circuit, but just mm. in general. I think he's magnificent. That film is such a beautiful and just a real portrayal of you know dying and death and um, and life itself. Yeah. If I can and be so cheesy as
3: well. I think there's something there about the legacy that people leave and cuz it goes into yeah. stuff with his family as well, doesn't it? Yeah, And like the impact that his his cancer's had on on them, which I th- Yeah, it's a, it is a fantastic documentary.
1: Yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking but it's um it will make a great uh, double bill with The Act of Killing, Phil, if you want to have a good <laughs> Sunday evening. Oh. Uh, okay. Chris, okay. favorite documentaries? Um Pound Shop
2: Wars oh and yeah <laughs> that was quite good that was good yep See, this is, there's, there's a real parallel for me and, and I know that you're trying to be stupid because that's your, that's your cross to bear Chris, but <laughs> there's a real parallel to me between no, I just can't help it Sorry. <laughs> There's a real parallel to me between documentary filmmaking and podcasting and there's a reason why if you watch American documentary, film documentaries I'm describing particularly, and you listen to American podcasts they have a tonality about them which is very sincere and very serious and very as if they're doing something new the Britain doesn't feel the need to have them, and it's for one very simple reason and that's that the BBC has been doing it for years and doing it at such a phenomenally high standard that it doesn't seem like anything, any sort of massive creative breakthrough to us or anything that original. I think the case in point that I always use is how, for some reason, March of the Penguins went wild in America, whereas anyone in the UK watching it, it was just a bog-standard Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon nature documentary, which we've been, get, we've been spoon-fed our entire lives. So it's treated as something a bit more on a pedestal and a bit more like high art in America than it is in the UK because we're so used to seeing it. It's been such a stalwart of our filmmaking within the UK as part of the output of the BBC. So what you're basically saying is that we did it first and better. Not necessarily better. (laughs) In some ways better. better. Better, In in some ways better, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: So um, a few tweets that we've had in as well about other people's favourite documentaries. Um, Paul Field at Pathster... Uh, has a ten a top ten link on failcritics.com, which I have read, and it is an excellent article. Um, it's called "The Greatest Documentaries of, of All Time: A Rebuttal." Um, mm. Owen, do you want do you remember this article? Are you willing to share? Your I thoughts? do
3: remember it. <laughs> I remember he, because the uh, site and Sound put out a list of the top ten documentaries ever and Paul decided to watch some of them that he hadn't seen before, including one which I think was like three or, three or four hours long and about potatoes. And he just hated <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: um,
3: so he decided to put out his own list um, with filmmakers like Errol Morris, really important, influential documentary maker, you know, who made The Thin Blue Line, which is arguably one of the most influential American documentaries of all time.
2: And Rowan Atkinson's really good in it
0: as well.
3: (laughs) Yes, that's a different... different, Uh Oh. um, Yeah, unfortunately. Uh. The Thin Blue Line was by R. Morrison. It's about this guy who is convicted of murdering a policeman. And he's in prison when they're filming it. But actually, through the course of the documentary, six months afterwards, the documentary was so good. So, like, proved this guy's... Not necessarily innocence, but that there wasn't a way that he could have really been involved. He was actually released from prison because of this documentary. Uh, it's just, uh, it's mind-blowing. And and Errol Morris didn't even go to actually make that documentary. He accidentally made it because he was, he was going to make a documentary about this psychologist who determines whether people are going to commit crimes again or not. He goes in and interviews these people who have been convicted and says, yeah, this guy's definitely a sociopath. He's definitely going to murder someone again if you let him out. And that's what the documentary was originally about, and it just happened to end up being about this guy. But it's brilliant, absolutely fantastic. I think he might have had a Werner Herzog film on there, who also is equally, like, one of, well,
1: perhaps the best documentary I think, I think maker he did have Grizzly Man ever. on there. Oh, oh I Grizzly hated Man, yeah. Grizzly Man. What do you Man? mean? Shut I up, thought it was, Shut your was. Oh, <laughs> I thought it
2: was so boring. Oh. I thought Grizzly Man had nothing to say. Wow! Really disliked. Yeah, I actively disliked Grizzly you Man. You
1: suck as a human, don't you?
2: Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> um, we've I not think... even started talking about um, making a murderer yet. Okay, yeah.
1: do, do we want to let's let's go through the tweets? Go through the tweets, and we'll, have a tweets little talk and we'll, about we'll come back a to the. So, so that that article by um, Paul Field is well worth checking out. I, I've read it, and I actually I watched a film off the back of it, um, but I can't remember what it was. But I enjoyed it, and that's the main thing. Um, so he's actually on the, the Field and Mulligans... Mulligans? No, Mulligan and O'Hare. M- field of Mullingers um, Underground Bullinger. Nights, Owen. Do you want yeah, to f- quickly
3: shield that? Yeah, Field of Mullingers Underground Nights. The second episode came out last weekend, I think, or whenever. Yeah, a couple of weekends ago, maybe. And it featured a documentary maker who created Clean Flicks, a documentary which was about this Mormon community who were taking... ...films, like American films... ...editing out all of the swearing... ...all of the sex and all of the violence... ...themselves... ...and then selling those DVDs on again... ...or videos... ...VHS copies on again... ...and so... ...this is me stalling for time... ...while I try to remember the guy's name... ...who... ...I can't remember... ...the Clean Flicks documentary maker... ...Joshua Liguerre... ...he made Clean Flicks... ...he's uh, uh, featured on that episode... ...on the second episode... ...which is all about documentaries... ...and he talks about... ...making Clean Flicks... ...about how to get a documentary film... ...made... And he also goes into quite some detail about making a murderer as well.
1: Okay. Well, I I can vouch for the first episode. That was excellent. Um, But I haven't heard the second yet. I will. I would like to hear more about clean shirts. That sounds fun. Sorry. Yes. Clean clean (laughs) shirts. Sorry. Um, Eric Marshall. Yeah. yeah, Atty Marsh said King of Kong. Quick thumbs up or thumbs down? No. No. It was boring. It didn't have anything. What was it about? Oh.
3: What was it? That was like amazing um, storytelling. Yeah. I agree. uh, Billy Mitchell. Just an incredible
1: villain. Exactly, but I I feel like they got lucky because Billy Mitchell was just such a prick. And it wouldn't have been as good if he wasn't such a monster.
3: And apparently they edited it to make him look better than he actually was in real life. They had to take all of the best bits rather than some of the other stuff which made him look even more ridiculous.
2: Yeah, okay, I'll give you that that part was interesting, but the rest of it, and they... But they didn't... If that was the case and they'd, they'd got him, make that the central story, because that wasn't the central story. The central story was a guy in his garage playing on a computer game. Hmm. It wasn't <laughs> compelling enough.
1: Okay. Uh, Nathan Human of Diamond and Human, also another good podcast, if you're needing further recommendations. Uh, Said Shadow of the Moon, which tells us the human story behind one of the biggest events in human history and combines awe with warmth. Never heard of that one. No, me neither. Mm, Don't think so. That could be one to check out. Tom Barwick, at Tommy Come Lately, said Senna. I think we can all agree that Senna's great, surely? I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Wow. I didn't see it either. Really? It came out, was it at the same time
3: as Rush? The, um, Ron Hayland? I think it came out about a year before. Was it a year before?
1: Yeah. Yeah, but, um... I mean, I, th- I think Formula 1 is a complete waste of time, but uh-huh. that documentary is, is truly
2: excellent. You see, I, I didn't bother because I think Formula 1 is a complete waste yeah, of time. it is. But Formula it 1 shambles. is stupid. It's yeah, so it's stupid. It annoys me how stupid it is. <laughs> <laughs> but but that,
3: that documentary was It's excellent, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I watched the race where he died. My dad was hugely into Formula 1, and I remember being in the room when that happened, that crash.
1: We didn't mean no, to insult really? Formula 1, Owen, I'm sorry. No, I did. It's yeah. stupid. <laughs> it stupid though, I don't yet, care. Can't admit. I don't
3: like it. It's about the same level as golf for me. Just no interest in watching. Yeah. And it's
4: not very watchable. Golf, mm. Formula One, you can't watch these sports. It's not fun. Carry on. Yep. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Pipe down, Christopher. <laughs> You're
1: not on this podcast, your face. Right, Sam Schaefer, Sam Schaefer, sorry, said if a tree falls and has given a, a detailed explanation on the Twitter feed. So go and look at that up because apparently that's good. That's all I've got. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sam, I, I should have researched that more, but um, I didn't. And finally, Tony Black at Tony Black Hole, which, you know, Tony, you've got to change that handle weight. It just sounds dodgy. <laughs> we're <Which> just <is> thinking <laughs> of <over> your bum. <laughs> That's all we're doing. Uh, he said, best worst movie about the making of Troll 2, which I've been meaning to get around to.
2: That sounds like mm. fun. I've yeah. seen the beginning of that, but not all of it for some reason, and I can't remember why. Mm. I don't remember turning off in disgust whether I just didn't have time. But I never revisited either, so that doesn't make it sound wonderful, does it? No. <laughs> Have
3: you guys seen um, Lost Souls? No, which was about the making of the Island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer um, by Richard Stanley. That's that's similarly about the like making of this terrible film, and the well, it was doomed. The whole production was doomed. That is a really interesting documentary to watch if you've got any interest in seeing how
1: bad films somehow get made. It's just fantastic. Okay, I've I've definitely got an interest in seeing making of films that feature uh, Marlon Brando because if the (laughs) Apocalypse Now one is anything to go by, then Mm. that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, he's equally as just nuts throughout this, Mm. through Lost Soul. Yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. So before we go on to um, question time, which I know you're looking forward to, Phil, making a murderer. Quickly, you, you're going you're gonna to say bad things about it, so go on, just <laughs> get out.
2: <laughs> I, uh, everybody's been crazy about making a murderer, and Jack, you in particular, mm. have been telling me for weeks, you must watch it, you must watch it. And I did, and I watched it in pretty short shrift. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was compelling enough to make me get through it fairly quickly. However... I knew there was going to be a... Uh, and it's, all, it's a big, however. It goes back to the point that you made earlier, Owen, about documentary making feeling honest. And mm-hmm. making a murder... And I don't want to give away any spoilers or any plot points, because that would be unfair, because if you're going to invest that time, you, you shouldn't go into it knowing what's happening. So I'm not going to talk anything about what happens. I'm just going to talk about what I perceived as, and my girlfriend felt exactly the same way as me, as and just overwhelming bias in the way that the story was told to the point where... I couldn't... I didn't feel like I could take anything that it was telling me at face value. I lost all trust for it because I didn't feel like I was being treated honestly. I felt like there was a lot more going on than was being accurately portrayed. And I felt... Which I wouldn't have minded if that's what it said that it was doing. But because it does it without any explicit narration, without telling you this is the opinion of these filmmakers, it portrays it as if we're being shown everything in a full picture to then not include everything and that's very much how it felt that it was treated seemed dishonest to me. It felt like it was treating certain characters unfairly as a result and I didn't like that. And there's other things that I've learned since, which, again, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to offer any spoilers that have only supported that view. Chris would like to say Chris, something. Chris has got his hand up. You're <laughs> <laughs> <Like, without laughs> allowing me.
4: I agree with that completely. I think I loved that documentary, but you get no perspective from the other side at all. Yep. Um, which, it, it, it did make me, even when I was watching it, feel a little bit... Yeah, uncomfortable. Despite the fact <laughs> yeah. that
2: they've admitted that they've got footage, they had additional footage yeah. that they were just showing part of. and That's not okay. No, I that, I that's not. It. That's not rounded. I, mean, I don't want
4: obviously spoilers and stuff, so I'm not going to say anything. But after you watch it, when you obviously go to Reddit or whatever and read more about it, you see like another layer of it that you didn't see at all in a documentary, and that does make you distrust the filmmakers. A little Their bit intentions. More. yeah yeah
1: yeah I, I agree but, with that, but on the whole i'm a bit thick, so if it 's compelling, I tend to
2: just enjoy it <laughs> not not, it not look great, too far into yeah. it, and that's yeah, okay. that I think but that's the, what i've done The irony of that is the whole point of it is to Agreed. criticize the world for a lack of critical totally. thinking, totally, right. and then Agreed. if it itself doesn't display critical thinking then we're, we're at a complete impasse.
1: Phil, I agree with you 100% no questions asked. <laughs> 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 Correct.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, it's fine to not have critical thinking if the thing you're listening to is me. <laughs> that's, that's where we get away from this. <laughs> Owen, oh, have you seen Making a Murderer?
3: Yes, and I really enjoyed it also. Um, and also agree with Phil and Chris that it's incredibly biased. You, you do only get one side of the story and it does make people who you shouldn't hate, like the brother of someone who... Yeah, again, this is trying to avoid... It's difficult, it? Isn't makes... it? But I
2: know who you're talking and, about. And, I, and yeah, I how unfairly was he treated? It makes you hate someone you yeah. shouldn't.
3: Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't feel resentment towards that guy, but you do. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, okay, I am being manipulated. And that is one of my bugbears about documentaries when they do that. But at the same time, I completely agree with Jack that it was utterly compelling. It was just such um, a... I think because of the story, as opposed to the people in it, just the, the whole concept of what it's about was just like, how can this happen in the modern age? How, how is this still a thing that could potentially happen? Yeah. Haven't we moved past stuff like this? And it was just like, I, I'm obsessed with watching it because it's a, a, like a world that I'm naive about I suppose Mm -hmm. and stuff that only seems like it's fiction it shouldn't be a real story and it is and that's what makes it so absorbing Um, when it's being told
2: There's no denying that it was a feat of documentary filmmaking in terms of the craft that was involved in it, that they managed to stretch out to 10-hour-long episodes. That was a 10-hour documentary, and yet still feel cohesive and still feel as though the episodic format worked and each episode worked in its own right. That's incredibly difficult to do when you're writing drama, much less when you're presenting this kind of story, Mm. when the story itself isn't that complicated. Um, That makes me think it's even
4: more... Not sinister, but... Because it's so well edited and it's so well crafted to tell this story from this perspective, that mm. I don't know. I feel, I think I feel like quite comfortable I, I just didn't like the way that they told that story. And when you were saying about like the brother, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to go into details about that, but he got no representation the same way the other people did. And I don't know. It just it just it, it left me with
3: a bad taste. I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's like watching people in a playground. It's like watching kids in a playground just pointing fingers saying, he did it. No, he did it. And that's, I think, because that's what makes it so, like, weird and odd. The whole story, the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the people in it are kind of inconsequent. Their characters are inconsequential to what the story really is, I think. It's yeah. like Stephen Avery himself. It's not like... He doesn't at any point come across as this guy you would like or is in any way a good neighbor or a good friend to have it's just like it's just the, the things that are happening to him or that he has done whatever the outcome really may be that's what it, 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 it's in god's watch about him himself is what i'm trying to say it's the, it's the whole idea that this is happening that makes it so good yeah I think. but have you guys listened to serial as well i know there's yeah Comparison gets made quite a lot because it's a true crime story. But I thought Serial handles a similar idea in that it's about a guy who's trying to prove his innocence over something. I think Serial handled it a lot better. And I know it's a completely different format to do it as a podcast. And it was sort of as everything was happening, whereas this is using footage from like 10 years ago or more. Even with Making the Murderer, but I mean, yeah, I really like Serial in that sort of long-scale investigative documentary style. In fact, I think I preferred Serial. That yeah,
4: the investigative side of it—it it felt more honest. Uh, that maybe Making a Murderer didn't.
2: Mm. I'm afraid we have yeah. to strike oh, that last point from the record, though, Chris, because you didn't put your hand up. Sorry, yeah, but... <laughs> uh, I'll
4: go <gonna> play games. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, let's move on to question time. So this week, we're going to have a little quiz about documentaries.
2: Oh, Shop we've it. already established how few I've seen.
1: Yep. And <laughs> I would say that this is pretty difficult.
2: Oh, dear.
1: In wow. fact, I'd say it's almost impossible. Okay.
2: So, to so. be honest, I'm happier about that because if I did really badly on an easy quiz, that would be embarrassing. But if it's mm. if it's difficult, then maybe I can leave with my reputation no, I, intact. Yeah, I'd
1: I, I would
2: have known one of
1: these, these five questions. So, Owen and Phil, fastest fingers first. If you shout out your names... Nothing to do with your fingers, really. Sorry about the fingers comment. <laughs> shout out your name, and then you get to guess. So, question one, best of five. What is the longest theatrical cut running time of Claude Landsman's epic 1985 Holocaust documentary, Shoah? Nine hours. <laughs> oh, wait, nine five hours. Closest to the number gets a point. So whoever says their name it's... first can have a go. Theatrical release. Owens.
2: Yep.
3: Okay. I'm going nine hours, I think.
1: Nine hours, Owen.
2: Theatrical release. It's not it can't be as high as nine hours. It's obviously gonna be stupid, but it can't be as high as nine. I'm gonna say six just because saying eight hours and fifty five minutes isn't in the sport.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the point goes to Owen. It is ten hours and oh, thirteen shut minutes up. long. Which is just... You. Wow. No one wants that much Holocaust. Nobody. Not even Hitler. It's too long. <laughs> I didn't want that much <laughs> hateful eight, let alone... <laughs> it okay. was shown
3: on BBC4 about a year or two ago, and they split it into two parts, and I made it through halfway of part one, and I never finished it. Yeah. But it is a long, gruelling experience, show It's just really difficult to watch because... Do you, you guys know what it is? Do we even need to talk about it, or should we just move on to
2: the second question? Nah,
1: let's just move on. It sounds yeah. awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> question two. In Azif Kapadia's recent Amy, where was Amy Winehouse's final shambolic performance a month before she died? The word shambolic is Tony's writing, not mine. I love you, Amy. Uh, uh, I haven't seen Amy. No, me neither. So um, it's very good Senate I mean, director, so you should watch that is it in in Reading Festival it's not Reading Festival Phil stab in mm-hmm. the dark
2: I'm going to go for Brixton Academy
1: nope it was Belgrade what was that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you would that's the one I would know I, I remembered that okay. from the documentary so I think
2: if you'd it great that, you so now we've got have... no prayer on the remainder good good yeah.
1: spoilers for Amy <laughs> she had a concert in Belgrade she
2: died she oh, dies don't, at the end don't completely ruin it <laughs> oh no.
1: god Okay, question three. Name the French high-wire artist who in 2008's Man on Wire walked between New York's Twin Towers in 1974. I'm going to
3: recognise this when you Owen, oh, it's Philippe Petit, isn't it? Well done,
1: yep. Ah, that's two yes! Owen. Phil, you need to get the last two questions right to, um, to get out of this without any shame. You're rubbish. Shush! <laughs> <laughs> question four. Michael Moore... His first 1989 documentary, Roger and Me, focused on factory closes in Flint. Which... Oh, he's got it. Yeah, he didn't wow. say your name, F- though. So... Philip. <laughs> <Phillip>, Philip. <laughs> there he goes. Okay, 2-1. Yes. So it's all down to this. Question five. The Shining Exploration, 2012's Room 237, posits Stanley Kubrick had the secret of what major US government cover-up and clues inside
2: the film? Oh, yeah. Fill it. Yes. I can only think of Watergate.
1: Nope. Owen? Has Owen gone? Owen's gone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we tried.
1: <sighs> oh, he's tweeted. Owen's tweeted. Computer crashed. But it was the moon landing. <laughs> he's got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, without even being online, Let's, he's got that's it. That's pretty I'll, good. I'll do that. Um, and he's just tweeted us saying that his computer's crashed, but the answer is the moon landing, so he gets the point. And well wins three
4: one without it. even
2: being here. God damn it! That's good. Hello, <laughs> Owen. <laughs> so we have announced your correct answer via Twitter, and the fact that you've beaten me three one, which obviously I'm gracious enough to take in my stride.
1: <laughs> I knew um, Owen would know that one.
2: And there's no bitterness at all.
1: So that brings us to the end of this week's Pick a Flick. Owen, would you like to shill all of your various projects?
3: Well, just very quickly, I'll just mention that, of course, I'm part of Fail Critics. Uh, we've got a weekly film podcast that goes out uh, talking about movies and movie news and whatever else happens to have like crossed our twitter feeds before we start recording it's very disorganized um I also i'm producing as i mentioned earlier underground nights at the moment um with paul field and james mullinger um which is kind of monthly probably six weekly whenever they get round to it basically that'll do i think i don't need to go on about everything i'll just bore people won't it? so yeah. Fail Critics and Under Great Nights. No, They're at failcritics.com.
2: And Phil, anything to plug? We do Wiki Shuffle podcast every Tuesday. Mm. And so you can tune in to listen to Jack and Chris. Chris, you can say hello again now. Hello. <laughs> we but... press the random article button on Wikipedia and we talk about whatever comes up. Is it funny? It's very funny. It Is won it... an award, you know. Did it? Yeah. Oh, what award? Best Comedy Podcast 2015. Yeah, but what organisation gave that award out? The UK Podcasters. Association, that's yeah, not right. not that good.
1: And I would like to sign off by saying thank you to Dino who nominated Koyanigatsu. Poet, what is it called?
2: Is
1: Dino at Aldebaran on Twitter. Um, so apologies, I didn't mention it earlier because I'm a terrible host. So any other
2: Koyanigatsu? That was it. I got it wrong before. I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> and that's it.
1: That's, that's it. it. Back to non-shambolic Pick a Flick next week. In the meantime, you can tweet us at Pick a Flick. Pick. See, this is uh, The lack of preparation is appalling, isn't that, it? Uh, it's admirable. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. And yes, you pick a film, we talk about it. Simple. See you next week.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: <laughs>